I am excited to announce my new podcast, Giving Legends. It's an opportunity for me, Hannibal Navies, and my co-host, Charlie Batch, to talk with people of influence who are committed to building a legacy through service. Stay tuned and learn what makes them Giving Legends. Welcome to another edition of Giving Legends Podcast. I'm Charlie Batch, joined by my co-host, Mr. Hannibal Navy. What's up? What's up? <laughs> and also, today, we are joined by NFL legend, Mr. Warwick Dunn. How you doing, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. How you guys? We're good, good man. Doing good. well. I mean, talking a lot about everything that you're doing off the field, but mm-hmm. we got to give a shout out real quick as we start this. Your Florida State Seminoles, they're rocking and rolling. How proud are you as an, as an alum? I am. I can I can actually talk a little trash <laughs> the first couple of weeks. But, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, good progress in the first few weeks. So I know they're off this weekend. But it's good to see they're competing and they're not giving up. If they have something negative that happens, the guys are coming back and, and uh, they've been resilient. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times kids today are not resilient. You know, they instant gratification. Right. So they're actually working. And Coach Norvell is doing a good job. So I'm, I'm proud of him. Absolutely. And I think when you look back and obviously going back to that Florida State days, at what point did you really feel like you really had a chance to make the NFL? Well, I guess after my junior year, when everyone thought I was going to leave school mm-hmm. and I decided to go back for another year, I was just like, I haven't had money for 20, you know, 21 years. So what's another year? Right. <laughs> so. For then, that's when I actually thought that I could play. You know, going in, being 5'7", and I and I went to college, I was 150-some pounds, mm-hmm. you know, so I gained like 20 pounds in college. Not sure that I could be that every down back, a guy who can play at the next level. So, you know, I was just just trying to be who I can be and compete. And, and then it said, hey, you can play in the National Football League. The mm-hmm. opportunities are like, really? Okay, well. I want to come back another year to continue to prove that I can be consistent. You proved it and you took it and you ran with it, literally. And you get to that point, man, and you really had awesome career as you go through. Yeah. I always say that you should be in the Hall of Fame. I know you're not you don't you're not one to speak about it, but <laughs> yeah, I truly right. believe that you should be there because you're knocking on that door as an awesome career that you had. Well, just so you know, I was running for my life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when you're five nine, 185 pounds, I mean, it's I'm playing against giants. I'm having a block. Uh, you know, Kevin Green, I mean, these big defensive ends that, you know, most guys couldn't block. So I was trying to make sure that I was balanced, that I could run, block, and catch the ball. And, you know, I did all three, and I thought I played at a high level, but, mm-hmm. you you know, I thought I was consistent also. But I was just trying to have fun, and I couldn't worry about what the naysayers were saying. You know, you you have to really just focus on yourself, and I worked hard. I worked out three times a day in the mm. summertime so that I was prepared for, you know, if they called my number, I was always going to be ready. So it's just one of those things that I just grew up having a little chip on my shoulder being that yeah, rebel. So yeah. I know you got drafted to, to Tony Dungy, right? Mm-hmm. Your career started in Tampa. Tell me what that was like playing for such a great man and how he inspired you. Well, you know, playing for Coach Dungy, um, I think he was heaven sent because, you know, that was only four years removed from after losing my mom. And mm-hmm. I think the Lord put certain people in my life. And he was one of those individuals that believed that I could play at that level. But at the same time, he wasn't just focused on football. I mean, he was really focused on, hey, we, we can be a great football team, but what about the community and so forth? So, you know, he was someone that I looked up to. He never yelled. And when he yelled, you knew it was a problem. <laughs> right, when he right. He, when he would get upset, 
But I think, I think overall, his mindset was we all had to do our part. If we can all do our part, then we'll be successful. But I, I just remember my rookie year when he took all the rookies in the, in the room and just really explained and talked to us about giving back, being involved in the community, you know, just being a part of the community, not just playing a game of football. And that really inspired me to do the things I've done off the field for the last. Right. And I know you, you hit adversity early in your, in your life, early in your career, losing your mother. And I, I'll let you tell that story. But for me, what I, what I really want to understand from you is how did you persevere through something so traumatic for you, right? Not only did you persevere, but you took care of your family yeah. and started something great from that, right? But who rallied around you to help you get over that? Well, I got to give my grandmother a lot of a credit. She she came and moved in with us after my mom had passed, but also I had a really good uh, close niche. My mom's friends, other individuals that, you know, I had a guy who was considered like my my father figure, my pops, Malin Brooks, who, you know, he really stepped up and was there for me, mm-hmm. someone that I could call on, lean on, who taught me a lot about life. But I think, and I say this, you know, often to people is that my mom was preparing me for mm-hmm. if anything ever happened that I would step in because, I mean, I could easily say, like, you know what? I'm not worried about you guys. Hey, you live your life. I'm mm-hmm. going to live mine and, and do whatever. But I was focused on more. Of, I got to make sure that we all stay together. And that was really more my driving force the first few years of just really making sure that they had everything they need to be successful, do well in school. But just making sure that I can pick up where my mom left off. And that was the most important thing for me. And I know you, you, you speak openly about counseling and getting, getting therapy and things like that. Is that something that you started early back then? Or is that something you picked up and understood later? I actually started 10 years afterwards. Oh, really? You know, I, I um, and it, and when I was in college, I didn't go out. I didn't part. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything. Went to Tampa I didn't hang out with my teammates. I didn't talk to a lot of people. And plus, people don't know this, that the second year I was there, I moved with my three youngest brothers and they, was, they were living with me. Mm-hmm. So I was being an everyday parent, going to PTA meetings, right, going, going, right. going to their games and stuff on, the, on Fridays and so forth. But then also trying to play the game of football. And I just wasn't really involved in a, a lot of things. And I didn't know it. I mean, I was just, I think, that's my way of coping with mm-hmm. things during that time. And then when I came to Atlanta, you know, going to Atlanta in 2000, then 2003, I just heard a guy in the locker room talk about counseling. Like another player was going to counseling to catch the ball. I just thought like, catch a ball. Yeah. I can do this in my sleep. Right. I mean, I, you know, and I heard that story. And just later on that evening, I, I told a friend about it. And I said, you know what? I think I need to go to counseling. And that's when I started. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell anybody for years because I was so ashamed. Then I got to the point where, um, you know, I know when I first started, I was going to, I was crying every day, mm-hmm. just being emotional, didn't realize what you have inside, learned that I was depressed all these years that I was just coasting through life. But I got to the point where, you know, I needed answers. I was having a lot of questions, needed answers. And I got to the point where I went and talked to my, the guy who shot and killed my mom mm. in prison. Wow. And I was searching, at that time, I was searching for peace because, you know, he had so much control over my life. I mean, I didn't want to hold hands. I didn't want to do anything because, I, you know, as a kid growing up with your mother, you know, and, and being the oldest, I had a lot of responsibilities. We were close. We always talked. 
And, you know, it's just one of those things that I was, I needed to search for peace for myself. You know, it was a heinous crime, but I needed to go and see him and say, you know what? I forgive you what you, you did, right? I, I hadn't forgotten, mm. and it still affects me, but I need to make sure I take that power back from me because he had so much power in my life that, you know, I, I was searching. And yeah. then I got to the point where I didn't really care what anyone said. I came out, I think I did an interview with Andrea Kramer, ESPN. I just came out, talked about going to counseling, yeah. that I go to counseling. And that I know the stigma, though, is that when you're a football player in black communities, minority communities, that you don't talk about that stuff. And I didn't care anymore. Mm. If you want to talk bad about me, you go right ahead. Right. It, you ain't gonna, you're not going to hurt my feelings because I know starting, I was so ashamed. Yeah. I would go through the back door. I would go through right, the side right, door, right. hide in the room mm -hmm. and wait to somebody. But I got to the point where I just didn't care what anyone thought or said. I would like to thank Athletes Charitable for sponsoring today's Given Legends podcast. Athletes Charitable offers a concierge membership service that provides the tools and resources to build a legacy through service. Our athlete-led team has the first-hand experience and expertise to provide hands-on support that simplifies the entire process for athletes and entertainers to reach their social entrepreneurship goals and create lasting impact in their communities. To learn more, check out the link in the bio. To that point, uh, you being open about it, I mean, that in itself has helped so many of us, right? Other players and other people in general, right? But to see somebody of your stature as another football player watching somebody of your stature getting up there talking about mental health and going to counseling and mm -hmm. needing it, I'm sure that opened up the door and inspection from a lot of other players under you. And you, I know you work for the NFL Legends, right? And you work with uh, transitioning football players. So what would be your message to them about mental health and counseling and being able to cope with that? Well, you can't, you can't be ashamed. I mean, we, we all have to make sure that we have a balance. And, you know, I still work on that today. You know, you got to have a work-life balance. But the pressures that we're under as former players that, you know, once you leave the game, now you got to figure out what are you going to do? And most people, football is just, that's their whole life. They don't know nothing else. So it's just like they have to figure out their direction. And I, the Legends program is there to make sure that guys stay connected, that this is still a family. It's like in the locker room, that's how you felt in the locker room with your teammates around. That's the Legends program. We want to make sure guys stay connected, also have access to all of their benefits and really just take advantage of that. And, you know, I would stress to guys... You know, we have a lot of programs that could help with mental health. You shouldn't be ashamed. We all need assistance. And I tell people, billionaires go to counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, why should you be ashamed to go to counseling? We, we all need that balance. And I would just challenge them is that if you're working on yourself and you're focused on trying to make sure you're in a position to where you can go out and do the things that you really love and help people, counseling is only a benefit. Mm -hmm. It's not a hindrance. And we, right. we have to get that stigma out there and talk about that more. And I would tell more guys, you need to come out and, and talk about, you know, your journey of going to counseling, you know, letting other people mm -hmm. know, letting other people in low-income communities True. know about it. If you do that, it becomes a norm that is, it's not a negative going to counseling, right. talking to somebody who right. help you to make sure your life is balanced. Right. Absolutely. You talk about that work-life balance, you taking power back. Mm -hmm. For me, a lot of, not a lot of people realize your story for what you were doing off the field until you were named NFL Man of the Year right. in 2004. 
take me through that process because you're not a man for accolades, but take me through that process of how you got to the point of doing what you were doing off the field with your foundation. Well, you know, like I said, I started back in uh, 97 getting drafted and Coach Dungeon challenged the rookies about getting involved and giving back. And just later that night, I, I went back and I was like, you know, what can I do to be a part of the Tampa community, make an impact? And I just started thinking about things that I can connect to. And I thought about my mom and her dream of home ownership, being the oldest, understanding that we moved a lot of different places and being a police officer, only making $36,000 and raising six kids, we had to stay in apartments and she was the security. So we, we were able to stay free for a little while, but that wasn't sustainable. And just understanding that she couldn't save up money, she, she couldn't get this and couldn't do that. I thought about her issues and I was like, how can I go and help other parents, but most importantly, the kids not have to go through what I went through because not everybody's going to respond to adversity like that. And how can I go and help those guys? And, you know, I started this program, Homes for the Holidays, in 1997. And we started with three homes. And honestly, I gave the keys and I didn't really understand, like, why they're so emotional. They're so thankful. I didn't really understand until I went back home later that night and I watched the news and I can see the impact, the expression on these families' faces. And it was three mothers at first because I was just focused on single moms. Um, When I saw their emotions, I was like, wow, I want to do this again, but I need to go home where it all started. So after that, we did that three homes in 97, went back to Baton Rouge that following year and did six homes in 98. Then I was just like, I got to go back to Tallahassee. And then I really just started expanding. And crazy thing, I was writing a check out of my own pocket. Mm-hmm. And I uh, wrote the check. And I just just felt rewarded. And I just felt like this is the thing to do that can help me connect with individuals. And it just really growth. And over the years, in Tampa for five years, and then I became an Atlanta Falcon. And I was really driven by Mr. Blank. Mm-hmm. You know, he just became... Uh, majority owner of the Atlanta Falcons, and his passion was more about the community. It wasn't about football. We didn't talk about football when I was on my my trip. We really focused more about the impact in the community, how we can help the Atlanta community and so forth. And I learned a lot from him early on, but he really saw something in me that that gave me the motivation to, maybe it's time for me to start a charity. Then I started I renamed the charity several times. So I had Work Done Family mm-hmm. Foundation, Work Done Foundation. I said, this, we're going to be Work Done Charities because we want to be able to not just be a family thing, but we want to be able to help people in other cities and, and across the country. And we just celebrated 25 years last yeah. November. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. And we're up to now 218 single parent wow. families that we've been able to help wow. over the years. And We've helped five single fathers as well. So now I'm all about we need to help single parent families, help single fathers come forward. And that's another thing. It's like as men, we're so strong, we don't ask for help. So I'm trying to encourage more men to step up. I mean, getting some assistance is not going to hurt your pride. You know, we're just trying to help you create a better, stable environment for your kids and your family long term. So it's been positive. That's that's incredible, man. You know, a lot of the people that we want to listen to this are be up and coming young athletes that want to get into philanthropy. And we all kind of start off. My did, Charlie did. We all start off by just paying our own way in, right? We just want to help. 
We don't know nothing about foundation work. We just want to give back to the community and we're helping that way. And turning it into what you turn into now is basically like a, you know, I call it a philanthropic empire, right? You're really having true impact. If I look at the numbers, I, mean, I read the numbers over this morning, it's incredible the impact numbers that you really have. But I've been watching you since college. And for me, what has always stood out has been your philanthropy off the field. Right. So, you know, and I work with a lot of young athletes now um, when I onboard them with Athletes Charitable and they all look at what you do and aspire. Like, I want to do something like work done, right? So with that being said, you know, what kind of advice and talk about the blocking and tackling of, Philanthropy, because I know it's right. not easy to do. It's, it's, it's something that you have to be committed to oh, and continue yeah. to do, but it is a business, right? So tell me a little bit about kind of the blocking and tackling of how you got to where you are with your with your foundation. Well, it, it is a challenge, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would say because when you be, when you start your own nonprofit, the feds are involved. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, they're watching mm-hmm. the dollars that come in and that go out. So it's that financial responsibility, I think, is really important, but when I first started, like I said, it was a program. I was encouraged to start a nonprofit to be able to, you know, go out and maybe help, you know, more people in the community. I could have kept having a program, but I wouldn't have a lot of control or impact. And, you know, when I was there, I had no idea, like, what do you do with the charities, this or that? So. I just said, let me be open and sit back and just learn. So I had a board president, and now I have a lot of conversations with the board president, understanding how boards interact, understanding, you know, the restrictions, the things you can do. Then, you know, the more you get involved, you understand the ratios of programming to staff and so forth. I wanted to make sure that I brought in people that that actually understood nonprofit that could also educate me and teach me about some things. And I got to the point over the years where I just asked a lot of questions. I inquired a lot. I spent time with the CPA to see how the the numbers and and those things were going. But I became executive director. And and that, that was after like 10 years of us up and going. And I started to learn more of the day-to-day with the responsibilities of a person who's managing the whole organization, being part of financial decision-making, all the rules. And I had restrictions on what I can do and, and so forth. So just over the years, I have a really good understanding of nonprofit. And looking back, sometimes it's like, would I ever start wanting to do it again? It's like, no. <laughs> so, you know, you don't think about right, that right. because it's so much responsibility. And is that, you know, like I said, the feds are watching, you know, that you can't scheme, you can't get away with anything because they're looking at every little bit that comes in mm-hmm. because you one, you're a nonprofit and they want to know if you're stealing from people or mm-hmm. if you're just using the funds for your own benefit. So I learned a lot, but most important thing I did is I learned to listen. I sat back. I didn't come in like I knew everything. I sat back and just really just tried to take it in. And then eventually I went to business school, mm. got my master's at Embry for two years. Then I came in, it's like, oh, well, you know, this is actually a business as well. So we have to make money. You raise money, you make money in order to operate and be functional. So I tried to apply some business tools, those things to nonprofit to help us grow. And we started to grow and we did some really good things. And mm. We're still around. And 
it's the people around you. And I have a board. I'm able to have up to 20 board members with my bylaws and, and all those sure. things. And, uh, you know, we're, I got responsibility around me. You have other people that are also holding you accountable because the mm-hmm. board votes on everything that happens. They're engaged. They're part of, okay, this is what we're doing programming-wise and so forth. So when you grow, it is because people around you are helping you do that. It's not just because, oh, I have the money. Let me just go and pay people right. to do this. Right. No, it takes an actual community because you got to take people on the outside who are passionate about what you're passionate about and able to come in and help guide you and lead you. So it's having CPAs involved, lawyers. It's, it's just some people who are specialists in certain areas that are able to really come in and it's given me really good direction and growth. So it's been prosperous over the years. I would like to thank United Charitable for sponsoring today's Giving Legends podcast. United Charitable is a national nonprofit that focuses on guiding you on your charitable journey. Whether you like to simply streamline your giving or you like to create your own charitable initiative, United Charitable has the knowledge and resources to support you. If you'd like to learn more, check out the link in our bio. And that's important. You know, I'm glad you had the opportunity to share that because not many people understand what goes on behind the scenes when you're trying to do all of this yourself. And that's why you need help trying to do those type of things. And one thing that as you talk about the business side of it and as you go through all the programming, you just celebrated 25 years. Is there one story that sticks out more than the other when you see the emotions, when you're handing those keys over and maybe the impact, maybe years later that you didn't realize that those seeds that you planted back then now are coming to fruition well it is crazy because i can't i i can't just take one family that we've been able to to assist but i've become friends and have people that call me they have these little nicknames for me when i talk to them and so forth that we i built a relationship with a lot of the recipients and i've been able to see them grow over the years i mean i have one that sold a home sold her home bought another home, and now her kid bought their home. So we mm-hmm. see general, this has affected Generation, generations, yes. right? And we've done academic studies. We've we've gotten feedback on just the impact that we're making and, and how we're creating that stability. What we give to the families and how we help them on that first day really gets them off to a true, fresh start to home ownership. Because a lot of people first purchase a home, what you do? You got to give the additional money down payment to help lower the payments on your bills. And today with the, with the uh, interest, interest rates are crazy. But also when you move in, we're all trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to put in this room? How are we going to outfit this room and that room? We come in and give people a true, fresh start to home ownership. And that has really, you know, leveled the plan for them, playing field for them. So now they're able to take what we've given them and really advance and move forward and, and create that stability. And we, I mean, our success rate is, you know, 90. The last time I, we did, we just have a study now that we're about to bring out the statistics. But the last study we did, 92% success rate, meaning right. families are still in a home or they bought another home and, and moved on. So they're moving forward. And some people have increased on a job status. Right. Kids have gone to college. Mm-hmm. So I've just understand like communities that when you create that stability, home ownership stability for the family, definitely for the kids, they're much more confident, they do better in school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so much more engagement. So it's 
it's been a lot of benefits and pluses to create home ownership for individuals. And I know you don't know, everybody doesn't know the process of how you go about selecting the families and things like that and what they have to do to get to it. But you have a really, you know, you talk about the success rate. The success rate is not going to be based off of you just giving keys and hopefully they're successful. You do a lot on the front end and a lot on the back end to make sure they go through this ecosystem mm-hmm. of education, different things. Talk a little bit about, about that because I think that's really the key to yeah. the success of the program because you can hand keys out, right? But you do a lot more than just that. So talk about that. Right. Well, uh, you're right. And a lot of times we partner with a Habitat. So they have a uh, program where the families have to be, you know, credit ready, in a position, they have to work on their own home. That, that's a lot of that sweat equity. Mm-hmm. So we partner with them. We partner with uh, local mun- municipalities with this process. But everyone has to be in a position where they can get a loan or, or you know get approved for a house. Once they get into the home, we come in is that now we have a financial literacy program called Kind of Your Future, where we tell families that we're thinking more long-term. And I always talk about needs versus wants, because a lot of times in life, you know, we just want stuff. Yeah. It's not that what we need. So I try to teach that financial responsibility about budgeting and, and those things. But we also say you need to invest in yourself, meaning that you can start a savings account and we will match you up to $500. Mm-hmm. So if you invest 500 in yourself, you're gonna, you have $1,000, right. you have a savings right. account to get going down the road. and. They would have access to a financial advisor for two years, and it's the IDA account where we don't want people to to start a savings account and just kind of take the money out. We want to think 20, 30 years, compounding interest. So we try to educate them on some things, but the mindset is I need to spend on spend money on what I need, not the things I want. So we try to help families in that way. That's uh, kind of your future program. I have a, a program called Scope. It's a healthy food initiative where we try to educate families on cooking quick and healthy meals. But most importantly, they you know get to the point where we can they can grow their food in their backyard, build a vegetable box, grow their food in their backyard. But I've I've tried to now go and encourage them to you know get their get tested for cholesterol, diabetes, you know, so you know, being much healthier overall, right? Working out. We want them to work out, train, do those things just to really be involved. So, you know, we we started this this program to really just the overall health of an individual. And we want to try to monitor that from the first day on to help them be around a lot longer. And low-income families don't usually see doctors. So we want to try to make sure they have access to all of that stuff as well. I've also started a program that's called Hearts for Community Service, where we have a scholarship program where kids who are involved in their community giving back, but also need some financial assistance in school. And those are $5,000 scholarships that we have. And the thing is, I relaunched this program I started uh, back in 2011-12 called Betty's Hope. It's a mental health program. At first, it was just focused on bereavement because I lost my mom. I wanted to help other kids who may be going through something similar. but. I brought Betty's Hope back where we can go and help kids who don't have access to mental health specialists to be able to give them the tools and resources they would need to make sure they live a balanced life. And we're really focused on those schools that are struggling mm-hmm. and low-income communities, but we're just trying to create that, that opportunity so that what we're teaching them, they can learn that if I'm being bullied, it's, you know, those things, they can 
respond in the right way so it is we don't have the trauma that we yeah. we deal with every day in these in black communities so we've been able to really make things much more holistic and i mean i i do a lot of things so yeah, i can go on and on and on but you know when i started building housing as well you know i've gotten to the point now it's just we want a healthy mind healthy body just so we have a healthier society overall mm. and that's why we're here we want to learn that yeah, because yeah, not yeah. many people learn or know what you're doing you know, behind yeah. the scenes. So we appreciate it. And I think when you get to that point, all the things that you just talked about, where can people go to find the information out about what you are currently doing? Well, they can go to uh, WDC.org. They just look up work done charities. They'll, they'll find us. And when I, I actually started building housing, like I said, we have WDCommunities.org where people can go and we partner with cities and we're trying to grow that platform to where now we're able to partner with more cities to build more housing. And this wouldn't just be focused on single parent families. This would be just focused on families, workforce. So because today, even workforce individuals can't really afford housing because of the interest rates. So we want to be able to build, like I said, healthy mind, healthy body, just a healthy community. And that's what communities is all about. And I think when you look at where you're at right now, and as we get ready to come to a close, what would your mom say about you right now? Uh, she would probably, you know, she, I would hope that she's happy, but I know at the same time, I can always do some things better. My mom, being a police officer, I mean, I brag about my mom all the time. She was state champion the high hurdles, mm -hmm. you know, and she was very athletic and I probably got a lot of that, my athletic ability from her and my dad, but she always challenged me to be the best that I could be you know, rise above it all. And, you know, I was much more mature in certain areas before my time, but I was very immature in other areas because I had to learn things from other men, which thank goodness I've surrounded myself with, with guys who love and care about me. But I, I just hope my mom would be happy that, and happy that I kept us all together early on. I mean, believe me, 18 years old, when you got to go to the hospital, and you, you get on the phone, talk to the police chief, and you still don't know what happened. And you walk into the room. I was there to identify the body. And then going back home, realizing, like, you know what? My mom would want me to make sure that I take care of my five younger brothers and sisters. And that's all I cared about. And they gave me the blessing to be able to leave Baton Rouge and go to a Florida state. And I just had that support system. So, you know, I just... I just hope that, you know, she she knows that I've just tried to be the best big brother, but also I was more like a father figure to them. But also, I didn't turn my back on my brothers and sisters that I made sure we all came along together. So we all tight. We talk. We all, as you know, brothers and sisters don't always agree, you know, this or that. But we are still in each other's lives. And that's the most important thing. And that is awesome, man. As you hear it. Heard it first from work done straight out of his mouth. Not only a Hall of Famer in life, we are starting this campaign to get him into the National Football League <laughs> yes, Hall of Fame. Yes, that's what we're doing. Yes, yes, Pro Football Hall of Fame, the official yes, name of yes, it. But that's what yes. we're, um, Aaron, and that's what we're trying to do at this particular point, man. So as we uh, congratulate you on everything that you've done off the field, man, yeah. we are supportive, whatever we could do um, in, in, our, in our way. We're more than happy to do that. So we appreciate you being on the podcast. Mr. Warwick Dunn, this is Hannibal Navies. Appreciate you on joining us on this episode. Find us on YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and comment on what inspires you to be a giving legend in your community.